Excellent. Today we're looking at um, our penultimate preach uh, in the current series on Jesus in the Old Testament. And I've really loved this series. I think it's been great to not just look at Jesus again afresh, but also to, to see elements of, um, of Jesus in the Old Testament, to re-look at characters, situations, the temple last week, different things of the old where we can see the new, the old drum store where we need a new one. You know, and today we're looking at the aspect of the king, the king, Jesus, the king of kings, and we're going to look at kings in the Old Testament. Now, before I start, though, I just want to start with a little, um, little game, if you like, just to sort of uh, get things off the ground. And this is a little game we've played before. I'm going to read the line of a film, and you have to guess what film it is. How about that? You want to play? Okay, brilliant. Right, so here we go. As soon as you know, just shout it out. I think last time we did this, Michaela, I don't know if she's still in here, but she was straight there. She had it straight away. And um, let's see how you get on with this one. I think it's time that you and I... Do you know what? I knew Michaela would get it again. I knew it! I knew... You should be in the coffee shop just while I do this section of my preach. It is indeed The Lion King. Oh, do you know what? I've got ten lines here and I got to the first one. Um, <clears throat> it's The Lion King. It's a, it's a wonderful film, albeit one of my sons found it very upsetting uh, when uh, Mufasa obviously um, died. But it's, it is a great film, isn't it? It is a great film. I think there's another one coming out. Or it's something about Lion King. I think they're producing a new one or something. But it's, it's a great film about this young boy who wants to be king. You know, the, the famous line in the film, oh, I just can't wait to be king. And today we're looking at um, a little bit of what it means to be king. We're looking at the kings, some kings of the Old Testament, and we're looking at the king of kings, Jesus. You know, I read this um, this week in a, in a post, um, a Desiring God post by a guy called Brandon Smith. And he says this, everyone wants to be king. Some of us want to be the king of our workplace or the king of our house. Some of us want to be the king of our fantasy football league. The king of our neighborhood's Christmas light display. This is written by an American, by the way. Although the lights display in this country are getting uh, more and more better. Some of us treat the highway or the, the road as our own little kingdom, demanding that our minions, thank you, ask our permission before they change lanes or slow down. I love Michael McIntyre's sketch. If you've ever seen him, he was, uh, we saw him this year, last year. And um, he does this whole sketch of um, how you thank people, you know, when, when you pull out. You know, and if people don't thank you, how you get annoyed. You know, I, I let them out. They need to thank me. He, he was very funny. I mean, much funnier than I would be. But, um, you know, but we think we're king of the road when we're driving around. The king stands above everyone else. This is still Brandon Smith, by the way. This isn't me. The king stands above everyone else, receiving praise and reverence from everyone around them. Nothing is withheld from kings, after all. They never come in second place, and they never have to answer to another's needs. 
It's a good thing to be king. Or is it? Today, in finding Jesus in the Old Testament, I wanted to look at three kings. I want us to look at King Saul, King David, and King Jesus. King Saul, actually, as we'll look at in a moment, it's very difficult to find Jesus in this man. King David, a king where it's a lot more obvious to find Jesus. And then, obviously, King Jesus, well, he is the king, the king of heaven, as we've been worshipping this morning. So my aim this morning is to look at these three kings, to draw out some parallels and look at what we can learn and take home for today. So let's start with King Saul. Now, King Saul, he was an appointed uh, king by God's people. They'd had enough of the judges ruling over them, and they wanted a person to take full control over the kingdom. And the person they chose was Saul. Saul seemed so right. You know, he was the son of a very wealthy man. There were times when he prophesied loads, he won battles, and he had everything right on his CV. But it all went disastrously wrong. Something was decidedly wrong with this king. But what was it? Saul was a king that at first, when he began his reign, when he began to sort of outwork his kingdom rights, he represented something of Jesus. In 1 Samuel 10, we read that the Spirit of God came on Saul in power. Saul was anointed by God to lead the people. God's presence was with him at the beginning. He was anointed. He was God's man for the job. But over time, Saul made a lot of bad decisions. He made a lot of bad decisions. He trusted in himself rather than God. He was weak and insecure. He grew in suspicion and mistrust of those around him. He developed a very strong and acutely jealous attitude towards David, which got worse and worse and worse. He was disobedient. He was rebellious. There was a moment where he usurped the role of Samuel, where he acted as a priest when he was not anointed to do so. He didn't stick within the remit that he was supposed to outwork as God's king for God's people. Again and again, he lacked understanding of what God required of him. And eventually, God's presence left him. Sad, really. Really sad. He was a man who lived by signs and superstitions. They were more important to him than God and God's presence and God's purposes and God's will. He constantly wants to be viewed positively in the eyes of people at the expense of real repentance and commitment to God and God's purposes. So this is an example of how not to find Jesus in the Old Testament. We haven't had that this series. There you are, a new one. But then we have Saul's successor, King David. 
I like David. You know, actually, when, when we um, pray for people, we don't really pray for, I see a Saul in you. We pray for a David, don't we? Everybody loves David, King David. My dad's called David. My brother's called David. David's a great name. Noah's middle name's David. We like David. But King David, like Saul, he didn't start out as a king. But you know, there was a seed, a small seed of kingship already being established in his heart. David was a mere shepherd boy, but by the age of 10 or 11, he was visited by Samuel and he was called out. He was called out by Samuel. And I think there are people in this room that God has called out for purpose, for plans, for he has plans for you and he's calling you out for those purposes and plans. And he stirs our hearts. When we sense that calling and we allow that to lead our lives, it's amazing the difference that can be made for the kingdom of God as we're obedient to the call on our lives. Now, most of us know the story in 1 Samuel 16. David was the youngest brother of all the children of Jesse. I think there were about seven brothers. And Samuel arrived at Jesse's house looking for the future king. And he goes to Jesse, you know, where, and he even sees the oldest brother and thinks, oh, this must be the guy. But God says, no, this isn't the guy. So Saul goes, um, sorry, Samuel goes to each of the brothers and it's not one of them. And the Lord says to Samuel, as he looks at the oldest brother, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, isn't that just God's way? Even the way that David was chosen speaks of the greatness in the kingdom of God. The way he was chosen last, the way he was the least expected, yet this man was later to be crowned king of Israel. How many times do you find God show you right at the last minute? Right at the last minute. Like, Why do you leave it to the last minute? God has a way of helping us stretch in our faith and trust in him for every situation. You might be just about to give up, but it's when you trust in God completely that, boom, God delivers. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. God's faithful. God will provide. God is steadfast in providing for us in every situation. Faith proves genuine as we trust in him and then as God answers and delivers us. Saul was the people's choice and David was God's choice. So I just want to look at four characteristics of King David that made him a great king. The first thing about David, as, we've, as I've said already, about God looking at the heart, David loved the Lord God with all his heart. You know, David grew to be a mighty king, a king 
like no other king, but he had a depth of love for God that was amazing, that he expressed through his worship. You know, he loved God so much, he poured out his love for God with his devotion, with his praise, with his adoration. You know, the depth of love was almost tangible. How do I know? How do I know? Because when you read the book of Psalms, you know, so many of the Psalms you see at the beginning, Psalm 75 of David. I don't know if that's of David. I've just picked one out. But so many of them say, of David. The Psalms were written by David, King David. As he pours out his devotion to God through laments, through praise, when things are going well, when things are going bad, he pours out his praise to God, his heart to God. You know, Jesus says in the Gospels, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, I believe that David saw God in his lifetime. He knew something of the splendor, of the beauty, of the magnitude and the majesty of God. You know, I think David really touched the heartstrings of God in his devotion and worship. He saw something of the awesome glory of God in his lifetime. He had a close and intimate relationship with God, which was so transparent, real, authentic, and trusting. That's the first characteristic. Second, David went through a time of preparation. You know, greatness is birthed through trial. Greatness is birthed through trial. I think God wants every one of us in this room to be great, to be great in his kingdom and his purposes. But often, and usually we find that is birthed through trial. Not long after being anointed, David was on the run from King Saul. And he was on the run for possibly around seven years. It's quite a long time to be running. So this is strange, isn't it? He's been anointed as king, yet here he is running and being fleeing from King Saul. But during this time of preparation, David was, was always found to be doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He had integrity. He had honor and respect for God. You know, he even had the opportunity to kill the king, to kill King Saul. Saul, the chosen king, if you know the story, he takes a moment in a cave to have a pee. And while he's there, David is at the back of the cave and he has his moment. He could sort out this king who's not obeying God, not doing the right thing. But instead, he chose to honor God. The makings of a great king right there. He chose to honor God, put God's plan, God's anointed king. Saul was still God's king, and he didn't touch him. He let him do it in peace. Bit weird watching somebody do a pee in a cave, but there we are. As David went through each trial, he was learning the lessons of how to be a great king. And there's greatness in this room today because many of us are going through trials. And do those trials lead you closer to God? 
so that you're able to say the day you're free from that trial, God is still great, still good, and is still my deliverer. I read this last week, um, again on a a post, (laughs) Chuck Swindoll. I've not heard that name for a long time, but I read it, and I think he's, um, he's written many books. But he said this, Men and women of God who are servant leaders in the making are first unknown, unseen, unappreciated, and unapplauded. In the relentless demands of obscurity, character is built. Strange as it may seem, those who first accept the silence of obscurity are best qualified to handle the applause of popularity. Those years on the run were preparation for David, God molding him and preparing him for the battles that were to come. Which brings me on to the fact that David was very victorious in winning battles. He was a warrior. He was a great warrior. You know, he was a warrior while um, he was a shepherd boy because he killed lions and bears. And the Bible says he was pulling lambs from their mouths. Quite a strange picture how you would do that. But that's what it says. Quite graphic in 1 Samuel 17. David, we know the story. He slew Goliath single-handedly with a slingshot. And when he'd done that, he Cut off his head with Goliath's own sword. What a warrior! You know, the one thing I love the Bible, I was um, a teacher at one point, and I can remember um, I had a, a class of year sevens. This is probably my first year of teaching. And uh, I just thought to myself, you know, I'm going to tell the story of David and Goliath. It was a, a maths lesson. <laughs> and and my, my excuse was that there is maths in it, because it describes the height of Goliath. There you go. He's over nine foot tall. And so I thought, well, I can use this as an illustration of talking about height, measurements, of course. So I tell the story of David beating Goliath. And I love it, where in the word of God, it, David says, who is this Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Such boldness, such confidence in God as a boy. Who is this Philistine? Yeah, he's tall, but who is he compared to the living God? And he goes and cuts off his head. David won battles under Saul. 1 Samuel 18, David led a thousand troops, had great success because the Lord was with him. And it says in this um, Chapter, all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. He was a confident leader that knew that God was with him. He won battles while he was king in 2 Samuel 8. While David was king of Israel, he won many battles over the Philistines. He brought them under his control. It also says he fought against this king, was king of Zobah, and uh, David defeated him. The Armenians of Damascus, you know, they came to help this king and uh, he defeated them as well. And in uh, verse 6, it says this in 2 Samuel 8, The Lord helped David win his battles everywhere he went. Now this was a great king. This king was taking ground for God's people. 
taking ground for God's people. You know, there were nations that were brought under his control. Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek. It goes on to say that David ruled over the whole nation of Israel, and he did what was fair and right for all his people. God gave David victory. And finally, David demonstrated hallmarks of humility. Hallmarks of humility. He was a humble king. And what made him so humble? And I just want to briefly look at three things um, before we move on to King Jesus, which obviously is the highlight, if you like, the icing on the cake. But let's just look at three things that made David so humble. Firstly, David submitted to God's will. He sought God's will for his life and in leading the nation. He was always asking God, what are the purposes for me and this nation? And he inquired of the Lord in um, 2 Samuel 5. He said, David, uh, inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hands. Number two, another hallmark, is his willingness to admit he'd made mistakes. He had a repentant heart when he messed up. When sin in his own heart was revealed, he confessed it, got rid of it. He repented. He moved on rather than defending his sin and making excuses for it. Number three, another hallmark of David he gave God the glory for whatever he accomplished. Whatever he did that went well, he gave God the glory. He recognized that all things come from God. And he implored, and he implores everyone to give glory to God. You know, there's even verses in the Bible where he implores the angels to give glory to God. They don't need any help. <laughs> But he implores the angels, he implores the whole of creation to give glory to the God who created. You know, we read of the glory David gives God, just one example. And it's all the tribes give and um, they help prepare for the building of the temple. David didn't build the temple, but he gives glory to God for providing all the resources, the gold, the silver, there was all the resources needed to build the temple. His son built the temple. But this is what it says in 1 Chronicles 29. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. If there's any more adjectives he can add, it's amazing how much he glorifies God. For everything on her, heaven and earth is yours, is what he says. It's like he has this deep confidence in God, in God just being there for him all the time, all the time. You know, sometimes it does feel like God isn't there. It does. It does feel like God isn't there sometimes. You know, life can be tough. You know, and it's an easy trap, particularly when life doesn't always turn out how you expect. But God is there. The word of God says he will never leave you. 
Now, I think David grasped something of this wonderful truth, that God is always there. God is always there, and God is always the same from everlasting to everlasting. God is always full of love. God is always for him, David. God was always with him. Even when things don't work out, David laid down his plan and took up God's plan for his life and the nation of Israel. You know, as a result of his leadership, the nation experienced provision and blessing again and again and again. So finally, let's look at King Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't he good? King Jesus. Now, I'm just going to contrast and compare King David with King Jesus. Now, Jesus, like King David, knew and loved God. But he did it in a way that no other person could. Why? Well, partly because he's part of the Trinity. He had a bit of inside information. But he knew the Father intimately. And also, Jesus didn't just love God. Jesus was God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of creation, the Lord of heaven. And his kingdom was a kingdom of love. He was love. Love that goes beyond color, language, social background. Love that reached into the darkest depths and the highest heights. Love that crosses continents. Jesus' love crosses continents. Father's love crosses continents. Love that reaches the rich. Love that reaches the poor. Love that reaches beyond the grave. As he willingly gives up his life to demonstrate this love to each one of us. King David knew of this love. David demonstrated this love. David drew his kingdom together with this love. But Jesus is love. In every situation, Jesus knew exactly how to love the person in front of him in exactly the right way. Mary, Martha, the woman caught in adultery, Peter, the great disciple, when he refused to have his feet washed, Paul, on the road to Damascus, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, Every person that Jesus met, he demonstrated his love for them. Jesus' love was perfect, not contaminated by sin, selfish motives. Jesus' love reached out to his Father when he was dying on the cross. And Jesus' love reaches out to each one of us today as we sit in this hall. He has great things for us as his children. There's great freedom, great peace and joy as we pursue his love. So my encouragement to us all is pursue the love of God. Drink from the love of God. Bathe in the love of God. Never give up receiving his love. We need it more than ever. Secondly, Jesus also went through a time of preparation. Matthew 4.1 says Jesus, it talks about Jesus being led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. But Jesus faithfully trusted and followed the plan that his father had for him. 
The temptations came. And he not only resisted the temptations, he rebuked the devil. And how did he do that? He did it with the word of God. The word of God. How much do we rely on God's word when we feel we're going through a time of preparation? The word of God. You know, we will all experience times of preparation. But the word of God is our source of strength. It's our hope. You know, there have been verses in the word of God that have kept me steadfast in trusting in God. The word of God is our resilience in our times of preparation. And thirdly, Jesus was also victorious in battle. The Bible tells us of David's physical victories. We've heard of them this morning. But Jesus is victorious in the spiritual battle. He has defeated the spiritual armies that have set themselves up against him and try and still set themselves up against us and the kingdom of God. And we have one who's greater, who has won a victory on the cross. And his name is Jesus, the King of heaven. The victory is won. Amen? The victory is won. The victory was won on the cross when Jesus died and rose again. You know, the cross is the doorway to know and enjoy the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The cross is the doorway. It's through the cross we know victory in our lives. You know, there was a transaction that took place at the cross. The transaction of sin, of death, gone on the cross. That we might receive life, that we've received eternal life in Christ Paul encourages us to no longer fight each other, but fight in the spirit. Fight the real enemy. The real enemy being the devil, not the person in front of you. Fighting with authority and confidence that we now are in Christ. And the last thing, Jesus displayed the very humility that took him to the cross. Jesus didn't fight back when everything was against him. He was completely obedient to his father, completely submissive to his plan to bring everyone into relationship with him. And I'm going to read Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. And this best describes Christ's humility. Who being in very nature God, does not consider equality with God something to be grasped, But rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And truly great king is one who gave himself, putting God's will above everything else. I just wanted to highlight three areas of application now before I finish. Firstly, we may recognize in ourselves some of the weakness found in King Saul. Now, the problem with King Saul, he did nothing about it. In fact, what he did was he hardened his heart more 
and more and more. The moment we recognize things in our life which become, become between us and God, God encourages us to turn from those things. Freedom comes when we turn from them. Joy comes, peace comes when we turn from things that aren't of God and trust in the cross. When we confess it and turn from it, forgiveness comes. Forgiveness comes in the cross. Whatever it is, forgiveness comes in the cross. God promises he will come in if we open the doors of our hearts. He will come in to your heart. You know, forgiveness is a wonderful gift of God that brings us into great freedom. And then we just move on. I love the fact that we're starting up this freedom, this prayer ministry, because that gives people an opportunity to stand with others, to say, you know what, I want to find freedom in this area. Second application, maybe you feel or sense that you are going through a time of preparation right now. And my encouragement to you is to be patient in that time. Be patient. I had a picture this week of um, an aeroplane. And this aeroplane was circling around um, in a holding pattern. Holding pattern over the airport. And the airplane just wants to land, you know, and it's like phoning the tower. Is the time, can we come? No, can you make one more loop? And it's like, oh, I just want to land, desperate to land. And God is saying, no, not yet. And my encouragement to you is be patient for God's timing because his timing is perfect. And the third application is in terms of victory. You know, there is victory, I believe, for you today. Victory, whether it be something you're praying for, whether it be something that you want healing for, whether it be something that you uh, are, you know, really wanting to know God to break in, that you can walk in victory today. David saw God answer his prayers and led him into victory. Jesus wants to help people walk in victory every day. You know, we, um, and I just want to finish with this story, we uh, took um, Tom and Noah out for dinner last night. It wasn't anything glamorous, it was just uh, a meal out, just to say well done to Tom, because they've just had sats this week. And um, Noah had steak, it's the first time I had Noah had steak, steak and chips. I was quite impressed, Noah ate most of a steak. And, um, and one of the things we do sometimes when we go out, we ask a question that we all then have to answer. And um, I think, I can't remember who asked this one, but the question was, what was the moment this week when you felt most content? And it's interesting because I don't know how your week's been, but it's like, actually, I can't really think for a moment that I felt most content. It's been quite a tough week. Um, but for me, there was a moment when, um, and it was, just, it was just a moment in an afternoon, early evening, when Abby and I were in the kitchen, and we were just spent. We were like, oh, you know, do you get moments like that where you're just exhausted? And um, Abby was sitting on the back step, uh, enjoying the, the last bit of the sun of the day. We get the sunshine on the back of our house. And, um, and I was indoors, and I said to Abby, I said, let's just, spend, um, let's just spend a few moments just thanking God for whatever we can. Just, just li- you know, it could be anything. Thanking God for just little things that we can be thankful for. And, you know, we started off with, um, 
you know, little things like, thank you that the sun is shining, because it was a beautiful day. We did have a bit of sunshine. Um, and it was lots of little things. And, and over a period of time, within minutes, I would say my soul was refreshed in God. I felt content. I did. And it just took a few minutes of just giving thanks for little things that we'd enjoyed or experienced that day or that week that God had done. I experienced a small victory that instead of what can be a habit of taking my exhaustion out on my wife, we looked to God. We looked to him and gave thanks for the little things that had gone on for us that day, that week. We stood united in glorifying God together. You know, there's power in uniting, standing united in glorifying God, giving thanks and delighting in his goodness. And my prayer for us is that we will just um, know more of King Jesus' love, his power at work in our lives, his glory, like David, just adoration and devotion to God and his majesty, that our hearts will be more and more submitted to God and his wills for our lives. Amen? Wonderful. So let's all stand together. I'm just going to pray for us. Can I just encourage you just to close your eyes? Just let's seal something in our hearts now as we go from here in the week ahead. Father, I just thank you for where you've been um, putting seeds in people's hearts today. Lord, as I've been speaking, Lord, thank you for your word that it goes into our hearts. And I just pray, Lord, for everyone here. First of all, I pray for forgiveness, Lord, where people have just, even in their quiet moments now, just lift things to you. We just pray, Lord, bring that um, gift of forgiveness, Lord. But receive that now in Jesus' name, if that's you. Know the peace that comes as you're forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray for those that are here who, who are waiting who are, Lord, just really wanting to this moment of preparation to be over, I just pray, give them peace. That seed in their heart to know your peace, which is beyond understanding. Jesus, come. Put that in their hearts right now, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, for, from today, they would see fruit, Lord, of your hand at work. Lord, and that we'd see victory, more testimonies of your victory in people's hearts and minds and lives, Lord as we look to you, as we serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.